0: going to be Hebrews chapter 1, doing to open your Bibles. if you don't have one, there should be one in front of you. It's on page 1275 of the Pew Bible there. Today we're going to start uh, a study uh, into the book of Hebrews. This book is a, uh, it's a complex and somewhat challenging uh, book with some possibly difficult, uh, areas to understand some 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 sections that are a little bit uh, uh, difficult for us, um, but I think some diligent study uh, can extract the uh, the important truths that it contains. And and part of the reason why it sometimes can can seem a little uh, uh, dis uh, I don't want to say disconnected, but uh, um, it can be a little uh, difficult for us is is uh, it, it's the audience, the original audience was was made up of a, a complex group of, of people. Um, it was it was one people's group, but within every people's group there's you know there are different people within that, that group with different levels of, of understanding. and so uh, so this book was written with that in mind, and so occasionally he would he would jump from speaking to this group to, then talk to this group and then go back to this group, and so uh, um, we'll work our way through it uh, because I, I believe the the message of, of Hebrews is as relevant today as when it was written. So we'll be uh, patient, careful to to uh, in our study to study its lessons, to learn its lessons, and so what are what are those lessons? I could boil it down to uh, two words. Um, it would be choices and endurance. Choices and endurance. Choices. We all we all make choices every day. Some are, are inconsequential, don't really matter a whole lot, you know, just everyday things like like when I got up this morning, do I wear a blue shirt or do I wear the the pink or mauve one or whatever? Um, that's inconsequential, really doesn't matter, you know. Uh, pancakes or waffles for breakfast. Regular or decaf? Well, maybe some for some of you that is an important decision. You know, uh, probably don't want to uh, drink regular coffee at eleven o'clock at night. But um, but it's in the in the in the scheme of things, it's not really that big of a thing. But then there's other choices that we make um, sometimes between uh, something that is good and something that is obviously bad. Now, only a, a foolish or or misguided person would choose bad. I mean, good should win every time, right? I mean, given the choice between something good and, and something bad, you should always pick what's good. But it gets a little bit more difficult when you go to the next level, deciding between what is uh, good and what's better. Um, the logical choice would would, would seem to, to be for better, But sometimes it's not as clear-cut as that first choice between good and bad. The differences between good and better might be slightly insignificant. They they may just be degrees. And maybe it doesn't seem like enough uh, uh, to make a change from this one to that one. So we we stay with the familiar, with the good, because it just feels more comfortable. It's what we know. Many people will stick with they have because, after all, it's it's not bad; it's good. Next choice is even more difficult: better or best? Uh, again, the obvious choice should be best every time. That's what we would think logically. You would think that uh, you would pick the best thing, but many people miss what is best and settle for for better or or simply good. Again, for them, it's just. It's just easier, uh, more comfortable to stay with with what they what they already know. And if, if it's not bad, then why change? I know this. I mean, we're people. We're all people that we don't like change, do we? We don't like change. Nobody likes to sit in a different spot in church. I lo- I see the looks on your faces if 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 somebody sits in your spot. We have visitors. You walk in and. You, Walking down the, wait a minute, Uh, where do we sit? Somebody's there. Throws you, throws you completely off for some reason, you know? None of us like change, and it throws us off. We like what's comfortable, what's familiar. I I always sit here. I mean, I always see that side of pastor's face, you know? His side of his face looks weird. It's just, you know, uh, that may be true, but, you know, but it's just because it's what's familiar, what we're comfortable with. I like to sit up front. I like to sit in back. So oftentimes we'll, we'll give up. We'll settle for what's good or better. We'll give up on what's best. Now, what you guys all don't know is that underneath every one of these front rows of seats, I put a $10 bill. Could have been yours if you sat up front. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> But one Sunday I might do that, you know. You might give up on the best, you know, to, to settle for what's better, what's good. This is okay. Why change? Well, the writer of Hebrews is confronting just such that uh, type of situation. Uh, he has to convince these people, these, these Hebrews, um, not to settle for nothing less than what God the, the best that God has for their lives. These, these people, that this letter to the Hebrews, uh, is written to, written to a, a group of, of, of new, recent converts to, uh, from Judaism to Christianity. The gospel of Jesus was, was revolutionary, radical. It was mind-blowing. It changed everything for a Jew. I mean, no more sacrifices, no more law-keeping. There was no longer uh, any difference between a Jew and a Greek. Oof, I mean, this was mind-blowing stuff for these people, you know? Jesus seems to not just be better, but, but the best better. But they, they struggle with letting go of some of their, their old beliefs. Holding on to some of their traditions. Holding on to the law. I mean, the Jews were people of the law. They were raised from from the time they were little tots to to be followers of the law. Been good enough for their fathers, this should be good enough for them, right? Besides, it's, it's what they knew. It's what was familiar. It's comfortable. So that's the choices. How about endurance to... To take hold of Jesus alone was a was a radical choice. And in, in a world that, that they lived in, that was a it was also a very hard thing to do. There were pressures, internal pressures, external pressures, pushing and, and pulling at them to, to not take the best, to settle, to compromise, to turn from the best and, and to go back to what they had before, even though it was less than, inferior. To turn from, uh, from Jewish tradition could mean being excommunicated. Family and community could, could shun you, turn their backs on you. How dare you leave our church? Grandma would be rolling over in her grave if she knew. You can't seriously believe all of that stuff about Jesus, do you? It, it can't be. It can't be grace alone and and faith alone and and Christ alone. It can't be that. I mean, we follow the law forever. That's that's what our fathers have always done is sacrifices. This is that. Works. Come on. Now, don't forget, you still have to do your grain offering tomorrow. I go, well, wait a minute. That's that's not what the gospel said. That's not what I was told about Jesus. Jesus paid it all. But when the world around you presses in, it, it, can, it can seem easier to settle. And everyone is telling you, no. Don't go that way. It would be hard not to stand, to not endure. And we face many of the same choices and pressures today. And so we're going to take a little closer look at, at the, the letter to the Hebrews. What was a choice and, and, and why did they have to, do, to endure? This morning I want to lay, lay out uh, an overview of this book, um, a survey, um, so that we know where we're going to be heading. It's kind of a, a brief overview of the, the major themes of, of, of the letter and the different sections and the different chapters and um, who wrote it and when and to who and, um, and then we'll break down those, those, those major themes. So, who wrote it? Who wrote the, the letter uh, to the Hebrews? Well, the author uh, of this letter is anonymous. Really don't know who it was. People have, have wondered for a, a long time um, exactly who it was. Many people believe it was Paul. Many people, yeah, it was Paul. Um, but there are some, some differences in, in writing style and some other things in there that, uh, um, that suggest it wasn't Paul. Um, there's, the, there's a point in there, um, in, in I think in chapter 2, where uh, <clears throat> he mentions uh, about receiving uh, the, uh, the truth Directly from the disciples. You know, I attest, you know, the, those who attest to this, the disciples, are the ones who, who told us these things. Um, well, we know Paul heard it directly from Jesus, right? And so that would have been weird for Paul to say that he heard it from, uh, from the apostles, uh, from the disciples. So others think maybe it was some of his co-workers. me. Um, Luke, or or Barnabas, or, or Silas, or Apollos, or Aquilus, or many others. They, they go on and on. They all speculate. You know, it could be this person, it could be that one. But but there's nothing that gives us any uh, clear support uh, for anyone in particular. But what do we know about the author? Like I said, chapter 2, verse 3, that he heard the gospel directly from Jesus' apostles. So we know that this letter... Is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. Even though we we may we may not know the exact vessel that was used, we know that the Holy Spirit was the divine author in the end. And so we can we can uh, rest easy in that, even if we don't know the human instrument. We know that the Holy Spirit was still the one who moved the pen. So, when was it written? Um, Well, the use of the present tense when talking about the sacrifices in the temple uh, suggests that the Levitical priesthood and and that system uh, of sacrifices was still uh, in place. Um, There's also no mention of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, uh, so it had to be sometime before that. Uh, It also mentions at the very end of the the book, at the end of the letter, uh, that Timothy had just been released from prison. That persecution had become very severe. Uh, So if you put all of those things together, uh, it suggests a date of around 67 to 69 uh, A.D. How about the audience? We don't also know 100% for sure who the original audience of this letter was, uh, or even where they lived for sure. Uh, This letter doesn't have a a formal address like uh, most of the other letters do. Uh, that would be to so and so from so and so. It doesn't have that, um, but the author seems to to know the people that he's writing to very well. Uh, he clearly assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament, based upon uh, the things that he writes in this letter, um, especially the storyline of the of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, um, which they would have thought of the, as the law. Um, about how Abraham's family became the, the nation of Israel, how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt, how he led them to, to Mount Sinai where he received the Torah, the law, uh, where uh, they had made a covenant with God, uh, where they uh, they had built a tabernacle where the priests offered the sacrifices, uh, how they had wandered through the wilderness wilderness before they entered into the promised land. So, uh, the author doesn't explain any of these things uh, to them. He just he just writes, and he as if he expects them to, to already know all the details uh, about these stories. So it's most likely made up uh, uh, of a uh, all uh, Jewish Christian audience. Um, therefore, that's name uh, the letter to the Hebrews from uh, Hebrews is uh, is another name for the Israelites, and so. Um, chapter 10 shows that this, this church community was, uh, uh, was facing persecution and even imprisonment uh, because of their association with Jesus. And so um, some were, were walking away from Jesus and some were abandoning their faith altogether. And so this explains the purpose and the structure of the letter. Um, the structure, first there's a, a short introduction and it's followed by four distinct sections um, that I mentioned. That we're going to kind of look at. Uh, and in those, the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events in, in Israel's history. Uh, first, the first section, Jesus is compared with angels in the Torah. Uh, then he's compared with Moses and the Promised Land. And then third, he's compared with the priest and, and Melchizedek. And lastly, with the sacrifices and, and, the, and the Old Covenant. And the, the author has two main goals uh, in these contrasts that he writes in these different sections. Uh, the first uh, goal is to elevate, to show Jesus as superior to anyone or, or anything else. Show, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. Um, that he is the best choice. Uh, why would you want anything else? Um, the second goal is to challenge the readers uh, to endure, to remain faithful uh, dis, uh, to Jesus despite the persecution that they were facing, despite the pressures that they're they're feeling to, to go back to the old things and to dismiss the things that they have heard of Jesus. So in every section, we, we, he includes a strong warning to, to not abandon Jesus, Um uh, there's consequences when you give up God's best. It is far greater than you can imagine so you need to consider it carefully. so uh, so with that let's let's kind of dive in a little bit and see how this all unfolds. We're just going to read uh, the the opening section of, of the uh, of the letter just to kind of acclimate ourselves So Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and uh, we'll read the first 13 verses uh, again page 12:75. Having become as much superior to angels as a name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his masters a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain they will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, set up my right hand until, uh, until I make enemies a footstool for your feet? So right in that opening section, he's, he's, he's already laying out the security of Christ. This this first chapter, um, the the elevation uh, of Jesus begins in that, that opening statement, that opening introduction. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So, the author is saying that Jesus is superior to all of the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. And then he makes this astounding claim that Jesus is the, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of, of God's nature. And these metaphors are, are making the, uh, the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. Jesus is what the, of the rays of light are to the sun. The rays shine out from the source, the, the sun, yet, yet at the same, same time they still remain the source. I mean, when light, you have a flashlight, and the light goes out, the light is the light, right? Um, and that's what he's saying about Jesus. He's, he comes from the Father, but he is of the Father. He is the Father uh, coming forth. That Jesus is uh, is what uh, the, the wax impression is to the to the signet ring that they would use in the past, you know? That would uh, be the, uh, the perfect imprint to the exact... Uh, representation of the nature uh, and the essence of God. Uh, for the author, there there is no other God apart from Jesus. Jesus is God become human as the Son. And it's this ele- view, elevated view of Jesus that's then explored and, and explained throughout the rest of this letter to the Hebrews. The first section, the author compares Jesus with with angels, which might strike you as kind of of odd, like, why why angels, right? The sun, the radiance, the, the glory, okay, maybe I can see that, but why why angels? Well, the Jewish tradition, it was taught that the Torah and the, the words of God were to delivered to, to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And that, this is based on uh, Deuteronomy 33, 2, 33 verse 2. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. And so they're saying that's the the, the angels are the ones who, who met with uh, and delivered God's actual words to Moses on Mount Sinai. God's presence was there, but again, remember... Uh, uh, Moses couldn't even look upon, you know, uh, the, the Lord and live, right? And so uh, the belief was that the angels had to be the mediator between God and, and, and Moses to deliver that word. Um, and so he's saying that Jesus is superior to the angels. The author is claiming that, that the, the message of Jesus, is, is, of, of good news, is, is superior to all the other messengers of God's word and so the the first warning flows from from that that point if israel was called to be obedient to the torah that was delivered by angels how much more should we pay attention to the message delivered by the very son of god if, if they are to to uphold and be strict adherence to the torah the law delivered by angels if 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 Jesus is far superior to angels, and he delivers a word. How much more should we pay attention to what he says? Not only that, we should also marvel at another point. Given that Jesus is high above, superior to the angels, how remarkable is it that he gave up that high status in heaven to to become human, to come, to, to suffer, and to die? In Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's greatest humility. As Jesus sympathetically spoke to and joined himself to humanity so that's kind of the the overall of, of verse uh, of chapters one and two and then chapters three and four we see that Jesus is superior to to Moses um, the great patriarch that, that led the people uh, of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness through the wilderness and and, and built the tabernacle When there, in in chapters 3 and 4, he he argues that Jesus is also the leader of God's people. He leads people out of their bondage, out of their slavery. And through this life, this this wilderness, he is a a builder of something magnificent. But he's not just a builder of a tent, but of all creation. You think what Moses built out, out in the wilderness was magnificent. Jesus, he built everything. He's a creator of everything. so He is far superior to Moses. Then he reminds them how the Israelites uh, rebelled against Moses in the wilderness. and What was the result? They lost their chance to enter into the rest that God offered them in the promised land. And so here comes the, the second warning. If Jesus is greater than Moses... How much higher are the stakes if we rebel against him? We're also wandering through the wilderness here on earth. and We have to trust God for the future rest found in God's new creation. So we need to make sure that we don't rebel like Israel did and lose out on, on God's gracious offer to enter his new creation. Now chapters 5 through 7 Uh, He shows that Jesus is superior to Aaron, to the priesthood, and to Melchizedek. Um, Jesus is compared with uh, the the priestly line that comes from Aaron. Um, Their role was to represent Israel before God, to offer sacrifices that atoned for or covered over the the people. But then he goes on and he points out that the priests themselves were morally flawed. And so they constantly had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. As well as for the sins of, of the others, of everyone else. And he explains, it, it couldn't keep going on like this. You can't have these mediators who are failures themselves, who, who are, can't even keep themselves pure, and they have to offer sacrifices, let alone your own can't keep going on like this. There has to be something more. There has to be something better. Something better is needed. There has to be a better system. And so he argues that Jesus was that something more. Jesus is way better than the priest of Aaron. He is the ultimate priest. He is better than Aaron. But Jesus didn't come from the line of Aaron. Hebrews five six says that Jesus was a, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, this uh, mysterious uh, priest king uh, from ancient Jerusalem. You hear uh, of him in in the stories of uh, about Abraham. He was uh, the first to simultaneously be king and priest, high priest of Israel, king and high priest. Hmm. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like somebody else. I know. Yeah. Psalm 110, 4 also says that the, the messianic king from the line of David would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the author's whole point is Jesus is the ultimate priest king. He is morally flawless. He is eternally available for his people. He's He's a superior uh, mediator between God and and humans. There's no other like him. The the priest of Aaron may have been good. Melchizedek may have been better. But Jesus is best. Prophet, priest, and king. And so, given that comes the warning in, in that section of of uh, this letter. To reject Jesus is to reject one's best and only chance to be fully reconciled to God. So you definitely don't want to do that. That would be a horrible choice with terrible consequences. Which leads us into the, the last comparisons in chapters 8 through 10. Jesus is a superior sacrifice, superior covenant, the writer shows how Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice, superior to all the animal sacrifices uh, offered in the temple. Those, those sacrifices had to be made constantly, daily for all these so-called minor infractions of the law, but also yearly on the, on the Day of Atonement. I mean, it was all about sacrifices in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that system. But Jesus, but Jesus offered his life once and for all. It was sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world, one and done. And so the Hebrews are warned against walking away from Jesus. It's, It's like turning your back on the gracious offer of God's forgiveness. Who would do that? Why would you do that? Jesus' sacrifices is permanent. is the, the foundation of the new covenant spoken of, of by the prophets, where all sins are, are forgiven. Why would you turn from that? Why would you settle for something less? That's the best thing. You want to continue to have to offer sacrifices through people who, who can't even... Can't even atone for themselves? So now that the, the, the author has elevated Jesus through all of these contrasts, the, the final section is one big challenge. To follow Jesus. Chapters 11 through 13 are uh, to run the race. To endure to the end. So think of the big picture. If Jesus and uh, Jesus we have found God's Very word. Jesus, they have the hope for the new creation, for for heaven, for the promised land. Jesus is their eternal priest, and he's the perfect sacrifice. And so now, because of that, they should should follow all of the the models of faith found throughout the rest of of the scriptures. And there he, he then recounts the heroes of the faith. They did it, so you can too. Imitate these people. There's a, the exhortation that, that challenges, is thrown down. Since, we've been, uh, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, they, we, should remain faithful to Jesus. Have a, a persevering faith. We need to throw off those things that hold us back to, to run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Trusting that despite uh, whatever hardships and, and persecution we face, God will not abandon his people. The author closes by saying, Bear with this brief word of exhortation. Bear with. Bear with. Receive it with open hearts and minds. That's what he's saying. Listen. Have an open heart. Open mind to what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you. It's important. Bear with this. Have an open heart. Unlike those who, in 2 Timothy, uh, will not endure sound teaching, he's saying, listen. Open your hearts. I know this is going against the things that you, have, you were raised with. I know this goes against your traditions. I know this goes against those things that you would like to believe. There's exhortation, he says, exhortation, to strongly encourage, to urge someone to do something, to push forward, he's calling them to make the right choice, don't settle for good, or even better, choose the best. Don't hold on to your traditions. Don't go back to where it's comfortable Where when the pressure is on, when the persecution comes. It's easy to run back to what's comfortable. Don't try to compromise and have it both ways. Don't think you can add a little Jesus to your old beliefs. We may be tempted to look at this and say, well, yeah. I mean, that's obvious. This is an obvious lesson for the Hebrews. Turn from the old system, turn to Jesus. It was the old covenant, this is the new covenant. What's the problem? How much more are we, are we tempted to forego sound doctrine so that we can hold on to our traditions? The traditions of different denominations. Some of us are raised in certain denominations who have their traditions. Why do we do it? Why do we do this? Oh, I don't know. We just, we've just always done it this way. And so when you don't do it that way, it feels weird. It doesn't seem right. We want to go back. We want to go back to doing that. And even when we gain new teaching, better understanding about something in Scripture, we can, we can refuse to let go of uh, uh, what we used to know. Something that we've always believed about something. Well, I've always believed this about that. Well, I understand that, but this is actually what it means. I've always thought this. Hard to let go of that. But that's what my mama taught me that meant sorry, Mama, as well-intentioned as she was, she, she was mistaken. I've just always believed that. It's hard to let go of that. Maybe we don't want to believe it for some reason or another. Maybe it goes against the popular culture. There's a price to pay for not going with the flow. When the pressure to conform comes... Or it feels like it's easier to go back to what's comfortable. Will we endure? Will we make the right choice? Or we will we settle for good enough? Or will we choose to hold on to what's best? Don't add to the gospel of Christ. Don't take away. From the gospel of Christ. Hope is found in Jesus, in Him alone. Amen. And that's that's why we have these cars to share that truth with the world. The world has a system that they say hope is found in. It ain't Jesus. We need to we need to uh To hold firm. We need to endure. Hold on to what's best. Jesus and his sacrifice, his gospel is superior to anything else. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It's his gospel. It's not yours. Why would you ever settle for less? We need to choose the best. Christ is our solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. We're going to close with that song here in a minute. And that's that's the truth that we need to hold on to. Christ is our solid rock. Other systems, other things that try to add to him or, or take away from him, it's all sinking sand. You're going to lose out. You're going to miss what is best. If you try to do it any other way but through Jesus, you will not find that perfect rest. You will not enter into the promised land. That's what the author of the the letter to the Hebrews is warning these people. You're looking to to Moses and, and all of this. Look what happened when they rejected him, when they rebelled against him, when they tried to do it their own way. Moses was up in the Torah, what are they doing? We can't wait any longer. We need something else. Ah, make a golden calf. To create our own system, our own way. What was the result? They lost out of seeing the promised land. They had gone that far. But then they rebelled against Jesus. Don't rebel against Jesus. Don't go against his gospel. It's his gospel. Christ is our solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. You will lose. Don't settle for anything but the best. Our challenge then is to throw off those things that hold us back from God's best. Those traditions. Those, those things that, that we we grew up believing that we just don't want to let go of for some reason because that's what mama taught me and that's what grandma taught me. or That's what I want to believe for whatever reason. When we're confronted with the truth, the gospel of Christ, truth of scripture, we must throw those things off. We must be willing to humble ourselves to accept the truth to accept God's best, then run the race before us and endure to the end. Amen? That is our challenge that we will find here in the letter of the Hebrews. I look forward to this study. I look forward to the challenge for us to, to know what we believe and why we believe it those things that we must hold firm to so that we may endure and run that race until he returns. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your provision to provide the instruction that we need. And even as the Holy Spirit led the author to, to send this letter to the Hebrews to, to point out to them the security of Christ, to call them out for their desire, their apathy to settle, to compromise, to accept the good or the better, and reject. What's best to ultimately reject Jesus, prophet, priest, and king? Father, I pray that you would help us as we go through this study to, to recognize ourselves in those sections where he challenges us, those areas where he challenges our beliefs and, and our uh, desire to, to stay with what's comfortable to return to those things that, we, that we've always known, reject the truth when it is given to us, that we would endure to the end, that we would run that race, so that ultimately one day we would find that perfect rest in glory with you. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us opportunity to study Father, we look forward to all that you will teach us in the weeks ahead. We thank you in advance for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.